and welcome into the latest edition of The Sharpshooters. I'm David Schuster, and my partner and compadre is Mark Shanowski. And Mark, basically, this podcast is going to be all about Zach Levine, and why not? <laughs> and for good reason. He had another great game last night. We're recording this on Thursday. He's had a great week. He's had a great month. He's had a great season, a great career, to be honest with you. But And it's finally been culminated in an all-star selection and well, well, well-deserved. Yeah, and if you haven't seen it yet, we highly recommend the feature that Bulls TV came up with where they put together a Zoom call with his mom and dad, with his sister, with a lot of his close uh, former teammates and friends. And they all joined together to congratulate Zach. And Zach has really kind of campaigned openly the last couple of years about how much an all-star honor would mean to him. And I was really happy for him. He's really elevated his game this year. Not only is he putting up career highs in all the major statistical categories, but he is affecting winning. The Bulls, as we tape, are one game under the 500 mark. They're sixth in the Eastern Conference, which is kind of amazing. And Zach is the biggest reason for that. He deserved the spot on the All-Star team. I was really glad to see that the coaches, not only him, but they also brought, voted in Julius Randle and Nikola Vucevic from losing teams. You know, the fact that those guys are, are leading their teams and putting up big numbers. I think sometimes they just get too bogged down by, well, we have to have all these guys on, on playoff teams that have winning records. And I think this year they took a lot of things into consideration that this is an abnormal year, less games than usual going to the all-star break, all the health and safety protocols. And I think that the coaches did a good job in naming their reserves. I think other than Devin Booker being left off, there wasn't much to complain about. And of course, Booker was named as an injury replacement for Anthony Davis. So I thought the fans did a good job in voting for the starters and the coaches did a good job with the reserves. So Assuming the players uh, you know, get excited about it as they get closer to tip-off, it should be a fun game on March 7th. So much in what you just talked about, I already have written down here on my paper, and we're going to talk about everything that you just said and, and expound on them. But let's just talk about Zach for a second. Um, he now has 16 games, Mark, of at least 30 points. Um, let's see, the Bulls have played, I don't, I don't even know what their overall record is, but he's got at least half the games, I think he's got at least 30 points in a game. He's either sixth or seventh in the league in scoring 29 points a game. But to go along with five rebounds and five assists, uh, he's shooting 52% from the field. He's shooting 43% from three. And his defense, and we're going to talk about that too, has gotten a lot better. You know, he, he causes turnovers. I'm, I'm noticing the Bulls' defense at times, and they played some pretty bad teams recently, but the Bulls' defense has stepped up at times. You know, he's just having a marvelous season. I don't know what else could be said about Zach Levine. No, you really have to hunt for different numbers to try to come up with any kind of criticism. I saw our old friend uh, Nick Friedel was saying that, yeah, but he still ranks near the bottom in the analytics for the guard position on defense. And I'm like, come on. You know, if you watch the games, you can see that he is putting in the effort. And at times, he's gone to Billy Donovan and asked to be switched onto the leading scorer of the other team. Okay, maybe he's not a perfect defensive player. Maybe his focus wavers at times when the ball's on the other side of the court. But that that's really looking for, you know, going out of your way to try to find something to criticize the player about. He has been a, a fantastic player in all areas this year. As I mentioned earlier, he deserved that all-star spot. When you consider of all the players in the league, you know, over 500 players, Zach Levine is one of 24 all-stars. That's pretty special. All right. Well, like I said, this whole podcast is almost going to be uh, denoted towards uh, Zach Levine. So let's hear from Zach a couple of talking about the all-star selection finally. And here he is basically saying, hey, it was my time. That means a lot. Um, you know, I've told you guys this over the last, you know, couple of years, you know, I've 
I feel like I've been playing at all star level, but this year has been a little different. I've been obviously, you know, trying the best I can, do whatever it takes to, you know, contribute to winning. And, you know, I feel like I've done a big job of helping us get to that A spot. You know, I think that's where my main focus was. So I think you enjoy the fruits of your label, um, you know, when that comes in. So it means a lot. Um, you know, I think you guys know where I come from as a, you know, I'm, this isn't just a, uh, you know, I try to be a one-time thing for me. I, I try to go out there and do it, but, you know, nightly basis, yearly basis. I don't know what else to be said. I mean, well-deserved honor. He He's earned it. No ifs, ands, or buts, Mark. Yeah, and as I mentioned earlier, one of those players that's been very vocal about wanting to be on the team. A lot of times you'll get that vanilla quote from players that, you know, the only thing that really matters is winning and losing. And if I get those individual honors, that's great. But Zach knows that because of the fact that the teams he's played on, he was drafted into the league by a bad Minnesota Timberwolves team. Then he was traded to the Bulls at the start of a rebuild. You know, his overall win-loss record is abysmal. And he wanted to see some recognition for all the hard work and effort he put in. I mean, he came back from an ACL injury, and you barely remember that he suffered that kind of a drawback because his athleticism is off the charts. He can still jump out of the gym, and he shoots the ball with ease from up to 35 feet. The shooting range is unlimited. He brings just about everything you'd want as an offensive shooting guard. And I, as I mentioned, I think it's just great that the league took the time to recognize a player, even though they may not be one of the name franchises with a gaudy record. They, they, they looked at what Zach Levine is doing, and they said, this guy deserves to be on the All-Star team. No events or buts. All right, one more on Zach Levine about the All-Star game. And he said, yes, even though he thought he should have been in it the last couple of years, and I would agree. I think he deserved it even the last few, couple of years. But he said it's been a long time coming. Yeah, no, it definitely is a journey, and it's, you know, it's a process. Um, you know, going back to even when I was little, man, it's – it's always been hard work, and you know, if you fall, you get up, and you know, you you you, you can't stay in the same place, can't have a poor me mentality. Um, you know, I've always had a you know I'm a show you mentality. So it's um, you know, it goes back like I said, with, you know, me and my dad being outside in the rain shooting 500 shots with you know with plastic garden gloves on, um, to me hurting my knee. Um, you know, and fighting back from that, being traded, um, you know, and fighting now, fighting, you know, fighting to help my team get in the playoffs. It's it's always a fight, and you always enjoy that. So when you get, you know, get some success and you get some, uh, you know, some recognition, it means a lot, you know, and, uh, you know, I appreciate that. But, yeah, the process is, you know, is definitely enjoyable. Long time coming, but there he is. It's unfortunate that it's going to be a little bit of a watered-down All-Star game, obviously, Mark. Uh, there there won't be – well, I don't know if there will be any fans, but there'll be very few. There's not going to be all the hoopla and the parties, although maybe they might do something in some of those uh, smaller <laughs> areas. You know, I don't think you can keep those guys completely um, down, but uh, it's not going to be like it always – it's not going to be like it was right here in Chicago last year, ironically. Well, you know, a lot of players have been very vocal about saying that they don't think it's a good idea in the middle of a pandemic to bring all these players in from different teams and all gather in Atlanta. And they wondered about the wisdom of it. Of course, we know money talks and it's going to make Turner Broadcasting a lot of money to televise the All-Star game and the surrounding events. But I think that, you know, you and I play basketball all our lives. And anytime you get in a competitive situation, once the ball goes up in the air, these guys are going to want to compete. And when you look at the way the, the event is structured, the fact that, again, it's going to be two captains drafting teams, so it won't just be the standard or the old-fashioned East versus West. You're going to have friends together playing against friends on the other side, and then they're going to go with the Elam ending again, which brought a great finish in the game in Chicago last year. 
So no matter what the players might say publicly, once the ball goes in the air, they're going to want to compete against their peers and show that they're as good as anybody. And because there are, I believe there's four first-time All-Stars, you know, guys like Zach Levine and Zion Williamson and Julius Randle, those guys are going to be so excited about being out there. They're going to want to put on a good show. You know, Mark, I, I love the aspect where the captains, and it's going to be, I believe, Giannis and uh, and LeBron again, I think, isn't it? No, it's Kevin Durant for the East. Durant, I'm sorry. Yeah. Durant instead of Giannis for the Eastern Conference. That they pick, you know, their teams and everything. And it harkens me back to when we were younger yeah. and we were playing free play or whatever you called it. That's what we called it whenever we had open gym. And I'm going to pick you, I'm going to pick you, I'm going to pick you, so on and sure. so forth. And I wonder if these NBA players have the same apprehension that maybe you and I had. Oh, please pick me. Please pick me. <laughs> these are the best players in the world. But I wonder if they have that same apprehension. Well, you don't want to be the last pick. And that has become public knowledge over the last couple of years. I'm pretty confident that Zach will not be the last reserve selected. With his athletic ability, his ability to score at all three levels, I think he'll get drafted uh, fairly high in that when they get to the reserves. You know, in spite of our good buddy, and he is a good buddy, our Nick friend Nick uh, Friedel, you know, pointing out his lower um, numbers as far as the defense, I really do believe that his defense has gotten better. And as you alluded to, Mark, he has gone to Billy Donovan and said, I want to guard this guy. Yeah. Um, it doesn't always work out. But listen, the, when the best players in the world are on their game, there's almost almost nothing you can do to stop them or even slow them down. But here's Zach talking about having pride in his defense. I'm just working. I've got, I've got a lot better with it, you know, especially just awareness. I always, I've always been able to guard the ball. You know, athletically, I don't feel like there's a lot of guys that, you know, are more athletic to me. They just don't beat me off the dribble. But just being locked into coverages, watching film, and knowing what the other team is doing, doing what, you know, the player that you're guarding, try to take away what they do well. You know, you're not always going to be good at it, but, you know, or it's not always going to work, but at least just try to make them do something um, that, he's, that he's not good at. And again, you know, it, it's uh, I don't care what the numbers say, Mark. I think his defense has gotten better. Well, I hate to bring up our uh, old friend Jabari Parker, who had that very short-lived run with the Bulls. But you remember his quote. I believe you uh, you got him over to that interview, and he was asked by the host saying, uh, you know, what do you think about your poor defense? And he goes, well, they don't pay anybody to play defense. And that comment took on a life of its own, mostly because when we saw Jabari in action, we realized that he did really mean that because he gave no effort <laughs> at all on the defensive end. You know, that kind of a sad story. Jabari made his season debut just recently when the Sacramento Kings were in Chicago to play the Bulls. And he was the same old Jabari. He made a couple of shots, looked disinterested, uh, didn't give any effort on the defensive end. And the guy's 25 years old. He was the second overall pick in the draft. It's a shame that he suffered, you know, a pair of very serious knee injuries, which I'm sure has impacted the direction his career has gone. But, you know, that's a whole different story. I think, I think Zach cares about winning and losing. He cares about being how he's perceived by other players in the league. And he wants to make sure that people aren't saying, yeah, but when, they, when it comes to talking about Zach Levine. And I think that he has really silenced a lot of the doubters. And when you look at Bulls media uh, or Bulls Twitter, I should say, a lot of people have come over to Zach's side now. There were a lot of people that said, why did the Bulls give him so much money? Now those same people are saying, well, they should find a way to give him a max contract this summer. So he's, he's won over a lot of the doubters. And now the final step, is to get into the playoffs and hopefully uh, get this this Bulls program on the rise where they can get back to being a contender in the Eastern Conference. You know, he wasn't exactly the same Jabari Parker because he was carrying about 25 extra pounds in his <laughs> middle. I don't know if you noticed that. I sure did. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jabari Parker has been a disappointment, and I was a big fan of his. I mean, he was a hell of a high school player here in Simeon, and then he went on, you know, very shortened but uh, successful career. He won a championship at Duke, didn't he? Did he not? I'm trying to remember if he was on a title team there. I'm not sure. We'd, either, have to, we'd have to it was research either, that. It was either him or Okafor. I forget which one Okafor, won Okafor, I think, was. I'm not sure okay. about Jabari. Yeah. All right, Jabari. Then Jabari hasn't won anything. Um, anyway. <laughs> You know, I've always said this about defense, Mark, and, and tell me if I'm wrong. I've always believed that the great offensive players should at least be good defensive players because, you know, if you're a great offensive player, you have all the moves, you have all the agility, blah, blah, blah. You're able to score the ball. Obviously, it's a gift, but I think you should take that pride of wanting to stop the other guy because you're embarrassing yourself if you're not at least decent on the other end of the court and I've never understood why the great offensive players almost unanimously are not at least good defensive players and that I think has changed to some degree you know you see some of the great wing players like LeBron James and Giannis and Paul George Kawhi Leonard those guys are all you know above average defenders matter of fact Giannis was the defensive player a year ago but like you mentioned when a shooting guard gets cooking in this league or a good point a dynamic point guard there's almost nothing one defender can do to stay in front of that player. So I think sometimes individual defense can be overrated. I think it's more about team defense. And as we've noticed with the Bulls winning five of their last six games and having a winning month in February, which, by the way, is the first winning month since December of 2017, which is a long time. That was the famous uh, Nico Miritich month when he went off scoring all kinds of points, you know, they're starting to rise up the ladder in defensive efficiency. They were near the bottom early in the year. Now, over in the month of February, they've been top 10. So Billy Donovan is making his mark not only offensively, but he's getting guys to buy in on the defensive end, and that's the reason why they've got a winning record this month. Yeah, it hasn't hurt, and we're going to talk about they have won five of six. You know, the five wins are against some of the lower teams on, on the basketball totem pole, if you will, Indiana, Detroit, Sacramento, Houston, and Minnesota. Um, and we're going to talk about the second half of the schedule because it's much harder in the second half. Very to tough, about. yeah. Um, but you also mentioned um, about Zach's contract status, and I saw something earlier today that if the Bulls wanted to extend him, the most they can give him, I don't totally understand this, is a four-year deal at about $105 million, and that's $26 million a year, a little over that, which is more than what he's getting right now at $19 million. Anyway, can you explain that part of it? Because I, I don't totally understand why that's the maximum they can give him, at least right now. Yeah, I'm not 100% sure on all the cap mechanisms, but what I have read about it is the Bulls can use cap space to offer Zach an extension this coming summer because he'll have one year left on the deal or the offer sheet that he originally signed with Sacramento that the Bulls matched. And that opens up a window where they can use cap space to offer him an extension a year ahead of time before he hits unrestricted free agency. So I'm not sure of the exact numbers, but you're right. It's less than what he could get if he waited until the summer of 2022 and went into the market unrestricted. But it also gives him the security, you know, guarding against injury and obviously would set up his family for generations to come if he would sign that extension this summer. Now, how Arturis Karnishevis and, and Mark Eversley look at it is a different question, because if you use cap space to sign Zach to an extension, that really limits what you're going to have in terms of trying to improve the roster in other areas. They're going to have some money because of the fact they're going to get Otto Porter Jr. off the books. They're going to get that Cristiano Felicio contract famously off the books. They've got team options on uh, Thomas Sadoransky and Thaddeus Young, which I'm sure 
they'll probably pick up if they don't move them before the deadline. So they're going to have some cap space. It's just a question of how they want to allocate it. And because of the fact that so many of the big stars have committed to extensions with their current teams, there really aren't a whole lot of big names that are going to be available. The one guy who could be available that the Bulls might be interested in is Drew Holiday, who's up in Milwaukee this year. If the Bucks would flame out, let's say they lose in the first round, which is possible the way they've been looking this year, maybe he decides to look elsewhere for, for another team. But there are going to be decisions to make. I think if you could get Zach on a value contract that's going to be less than what his potential max could be in 2022, I think that our tourists and the Bulls would jump at that. All right, let's hear from Zach one more time here. Uh, the whole contract status it's so funny because there's a certain writer, and we could just say our buddy Joe Colley, and we both like, love him and respect him, you know, and he has been wanting, you know, most of the season saying they should trade him, get rid of him, not get rid of him, but trade him. Um, but it seems like Joe has come sw- swung 180 degrees back. To- slowly, slowly he's coming that direction. Yeah. Well, it's sort of hard not to when Zach <laughs> is playing the way he is, obviously. Anyway, here's Zach talking about his contract. And Joe was the one who asked him this question. Have you outplayed your current contract? You know, I go out there and you know, I try to let my game speak for itself. Um, you know, I think contract negotiations will, will come up and, you know, we'll see where stuff lay, may lay. But. You know, I try to let my game speak for itself and let you guys assess that and put the, you know, the numbers behind it on, you know, the things I've done versus my contract and other players. So, you know, I think I think I've done well for myself, though. And I guess the answer to that is, yeah, he has actually. I mean, 19 million dollars, a lot of money, obviously. But, you know, in today's NBA, sort of a bargain for, for what this guy is doing. Yeah, and I thought it was funny that Zach gave us in the media a little bit too much credit in that comment, saying that you guys kind of determine what the numbers should be. Boy, I wish we had that much power because we could uh, we could run our own NBA franchises. Ultimately, as we mentioned earlier, it's going to be a tough decision for our tourists in terms of constructing the payroll. But I think after what he's seen from Zach Levine in these first 31 games of the season, Zach is going to be a part of that future. I think you can count on Zach and Patrick Williams. The rest of the guys... Well, they're going to have to prove it. And one thing that's been interesting during this uh, winning five out of six streak, it's coincided with the return of Wendell Carter Jr. And as you remember, and our listeners, I'm sure remember, I gave him kind of a rough ride a couple of weeks ago. He has really played well. And, you know, I'll criticize him when he's not doing well. I'll give him all the credit when he's playing good basketball. I think he's come back after watching how effective Thaddeus Young has been in the post. And he thought, you know what, I can do that, too. I can catch the ball 14, 15 feet from the basket. I can shoot that mid-range jumper. I can post up against smaller defenders. I can kick it out to shooters, and I can be productive as well. And in these six games, Wendell is averaging 14 points and a little under eight rebounds a game, which is about what you would expect from your starting center. I think that he has taken to heart the fact that he's missed a lot of games. He's seen how effective Thaddeus Young has been as a small ball center. And I think now, instead of saying, well, I'm really a power forward, He's saying, well, let me make the most out of what I can do at the center position. And at least for these six games, he's been playing some really good basketball. He has. Um, I still have a fear of him going against the bigger, bigger centers. And let's face it, the one game they lost, that bigger center, who's my estimation is the MVP of this league right now, that's Joel Embiid. He scored 50. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, again, uh, against the Indianas, the Detroits, the Sacramentos, Houston's, and Minnesota, none of those teams really have anything close to Embiid. And, and Wendell Carter is doing what he should be doing. I still worry of, about him against some of those bigger centers, but you know maybe there's not that many in the league. Uh, you know, certainly not many like Joel Embiid. 
Yeah, and he had some issues with Carl Anthony Towns last night as well. You know, Carl Anthony Towns had a big game. Some of that was mid-range. Some of it was three-point shooting. But, you know, Carl Anthony Towns, when he wants to, if he goes down to the post, he is strong down there. He's got a, you know, got that lower body that can just root people out of there. Uh, he's a very good player. You know, it's so unfortunate, the personal tra- uh, tragedies that he's had to go through with his family and the fact that he's been hurt a lot in his career. I think this guy potentially could be one of the better players in the league. I just hope that he can stay healthy and that the Timberwolves can do a better job of, of putting better players around him. You know, all of a sudden, you know, the game always changes. It's so cyclical. Uh, a couple of years ago, they said the big man is not really important in the game anymore, yada, yada. And to a degree, I mean, when teams go small, although what Houston does is just idiotic. I mean, Houston's never going to win the way they play basketball. I'm just convinced of that. But, you know, now DeAndre Ayton is playing very well out in Phoenix. Uh, Wiseman is showing that, uh, you know, a guy who's seven feet. Now, you got to be active and you got to be agile and you got to be able to actually maybe score from the outside as well. But, Mark, you know, I'll go to my grave saying this. Basketball is still a big man sport. Uh, if you can get a big man who can be agile and do a lot of things, I just think uh, you're ahead of the game. Yeah, and I mentioned on Twitter last night watching Wendell Carter Jr. and Thaddeus Young being so effective that inside out still works. You know, establish the guy in the post. That's what the championship Bulls used to do. They would get Bill Cartwright and Luke Longley those touches early in the game, try to get the defense to commit to giving some help on the inside, and that would open up both driving lanes and outside shooting opportunities. I'm not saying that you have to get the big man, you know, 20, 30 low post touches, but if you establish that inside presence that forces a double team to come, well, then you're opening things up for your better scores on the perimeter. My God, Luke Cornett actually blocked a shot by Carl Anthony Townsend yeah. last night's game. I almost fainted seeing that one. He, um, still has made, he still has made one more three-point shot than you and I for the season. <laughs> and that's supposed to be his strong point. I know. <laughs> it's it's hard to watch. You know, I know Daniel Gafford has struggled, but I'm hoping Billy is going to flip-flop that again and use Gafford as the backup center. I think eventually that's exactly what's going to happen. All right, let's hear from Thaddeus Young. He's been, the, uh, in my estimation, the second-best overall player on this team. And he says, uh, compared to last year – um, and and he, he's taking a shot at Jim Boylan. I don't think there's any question about that. He says the Bulls are so much better with basically the same personnel as last year's team. Light years from where we were last year. Um, same team pretty much, but um, just different mentality, different mindset, uh, different understanding of the game. Uh, everybody's being utilized uh, slightly different than they were last year. Um, but Overall, this team is in a great space. You know, we believe we can win every single game. We go out there and we play. We know it starts with the defensive side of the basketball. Uh, so we try to get it from, get it started from there. And then, uh, you know, let that trickle down into us running and executing really good offense. And uh, I think we've we've done that for the most part. Um, you know, we have some spurts and some games where we do kind of get away from it. But that's, you know, all within a young team and being a young team. Yeah, I, I agree with what he says. They're so much better. And the reason, one of the main reasons, and you got to give credit to Billy Donovan. Uh, and we're going to hear from Billy Donovan in, in next year in just a couple of seconds. Billy Donovan has been worth his weight in gold. And you know what, Mark? I still think ultimately one of the biggest things that he will contribute, he's going to make sure that the Bulls do get some free agents with his own recruiting. I really do believe that. Yeah, I think you look at the Bulls coaching staff now. They also have the Hall of Famer, Maurice Cheeks, to help with the development of the point guard, uh, Kobe White, and to help with Zach Levine in, in his ascension as to one of the top 25 players in the league. 
you know, the coaching staff, the difference, you know, as Thad Young said, very politically in a politically correct fashion, you know, it's night and day. Uh, this coaching staff does a great job of communicating with the young guys. They build them up rather than tearing them down. Yes, they'll, they'll point out their criticisms and show them on tape the areas that they made mistakes and what they have to improve in, but they're also always trying to build up their confidence. It's been another kind of a roller coaster season for Kobe White. You know, he had seven turnovers in the win over the Timberwolves, but yet he made a couple of big plays in overtime. And part of that is because that Billy Donovan is not going to yank him out of the game and say, you know, go sit at the end of the bench and you're done for the night. He's going to come back to him and try to keep finding ways to keep his confidence up. And we saw some video on Twitter last night after the game. Kobe White was out on the floor shooting because he had a tough night shooting the three-point shot. Um, that just shows you that the kid wants to get better. He gets reinforcement from the coaching staff. And I think that's one of the big reasons why the arrow is pointing up for the Bulls right now. And our buddy Stacey King and Adam Amin, I mean, they both point out that when um, Kobe White is in his own zone, it's basically catch and shoot those threes as opposed to off his own dribble, which, you know, goes to reinforce my feeling that he's just not a point guard. He's an off-the-ball guard, and I still believe ultimately if they get my definition of a true point guard on this roster – down the road, that he is the perfect sixth man on this team and can still score you 20 off the bench and win you a lot of games that way, Mark. Yeah, and he's doing a better job. I saw something from uh, Rob Schaefer over at NBC Sports Chicago saying that he's finishing at the rim at about 61%, where last year it was like 49%. So that's a pretty dramatic improvement. You know, Kobe's about 6'4", 6'5". He should have a better percentage going to the rim. And I think he was avoiding contact as a rookie. This year, I think he's done a better job of kind of seeking out that contact at times and being able to finish his shot as well. There's been improvements in Kobe White's game in a lot of areas, particularly what you said as a catch-and-shoot player. That percentage is really good from three-point range. He's not trying to, you know, pull up on the fast break and and hoist up 28-footers. He's getting himself with his feet set catching the ball and being able to go right into a shot, then I think he's been pretty effective that way. But you mentioned in terms of a pure point guard, you know, I think we're, we're exactly as we record this, we're weeks away from the trade deadline, which is March 25th. I'm thinking you're going to hear all kinds of Lowry marketing for Lonzo Ball rumors as we get closer to that date. I think that that's a trade that could help both teams because it's, it seems apparent that Stan Van Gundy, who's the first-year coach and is kind of a hard-ass isn't really happy with the roster down there. He's probably telling David Griffin, I want this guy, this guy, and this guy, and trade these guys. And I think Lonzo Ball is one of the guys he's looking to unload. Whereas the Bulls, I think they're just disappointed that Lowry can't stay on the court. They're intrigued by a 7-1 guy who can shoot threes and who can put the ball on the floor. But if Patrick Williams is ultimately going to be your starting power forward, this might be the perfect time to, to move Lowry on and bring in your guy who could be your point guard for the next 10 years in Lonzo Ball. Yeah, Billy Donovan uh, yesterday said that Lowry Markkinen is likely out until the second half of the season. And then there's that other guy, Otto Porter Jr., who you mentioned earlier. I mean, I don't think you're ever going to see him maybe ever again in a Bulls uniform. And then that that's just absolute theft of money, to be honest with you. All right, let's hear from Billy Donovan. Um, this was his comment after last night's game. Initially, he was disappointed that they didn't play well, but recognized that, hey, Wins are hard to come by in the NBA, and he thinks that this team can still be so much better. These guys have put a lot of work in. They've been great to work with. Um, I've enjoyed every day with these guys. They've been great. But I think part of my disappointment is I see so much more in them, and there can be so much more in them. But I still want these guys to strive for more. 
I, I don't want to have a team where it's like, okay, you know, this is great. You know, we're, we're, it, we, we need to strive to be better. And, you know, I think at the end of the year, I've always felt like at the end of the year, when you throw everything into it, you don't want to have any regrets, you know? And I think for this group, I, I know that we haven't won, you know, a lot and they maybe have made some strides, but I think there's more this team can do. And I, I just feel like I need to keep pushing them and challenging them. And that's not to take away from what they've done up to this point in time, but we, we need, we need to keep being more consistent in terms of playing to an identity. Cause I think that's what really good teams do. And, and again, you know, you talk about MVP as players. I, I, I think Billy Donovan, like I said earlier, I just think he's worth his weight in gold. He's what he's already done with this, with this team. I'm only sorry that we can't be around him. Unlike, you know, past years with a coach, we're watching him on Zoom. I would love to pick his brain in person as opposed to that way. Yeah, and I think it goes back to what I was saying earlier about, about he understands that there are so many young players that form the core of this roster that it's important not to destroy their confidence. I think Jim Boylan took almost a militaristic style approach. You know, he was cracking the whip and trying to break them down and, and yanking them out of games and being very critical both publicly and privately. And I think it really hurt the confidence of some of these young guys. Billy Donovan is going to send his message. He's going to tell them areas that they need to improve and must improve for the Bulls to get better. But at the same point, you know, there was the game the other night where he benched three of the young guys to start the second half. But he came back to those three guys, and they all played big roles in a come-from-behind victory. So, you know, I, I like his positive approach. He's won everywhere he's been, both at the University of Florida and five years with the Oklahoma City Thunder. And I think he's going to win potentially big in Chicago. You know, they've talked about the partnership that he has with Arturis. They're going to be hand-in-hand in, hand in terms of how this roster is going to be constructed going forward. And I think they will go out together with Zach Levine. And when there's a chance to recruit a big, big name player, whether that's through the trade market or in free agency, I think they'll be united in trying to get that guy to come to Chicago. Yeah, it was just a great hire at the time. And his name popped out of nowhere. I remember we were doing a, a podcast earlier and Billy Donovan, Billy Donovan. Hey, that's great. We were talking about all these assistant coaches around the league. But when you get a name guy like Billy Donovan, who's had the success and, and, and likely will have a lot more before his tenure is over. Boy, they jumped on the right guy. That was a great thing. Um, let's talk about that second half schedule that was released yesterday. We're recording this on Thursday. Um, 37 games in 67 days. So it'll be a sprint, obviously, in the second half. There'll probably be some changes because of COVID here and there. And that second half of the schedule is much, much, much tougher than the first half was been. So it'll be interesting to see where the Bulls finally end up. Yeah, they opened the second half with a big homestand, but the opponents they play. Wow, it's going to be tough. You know, normally you'd say, well, home cooking, five or six games at the United Center, you have a chance to get off to a fast start. Well, they play Philadelphia and Miami. I think uh, Utah's in there. It's it's just a brutally tough schedule. You know, they're going to have a, a tough time trying to keep their head above water. And then at the end of the season, it gets very tough again. So when you look at that stretch of, of 37 games, you know, they're going to have a tough time matching whatever record they wind up with in the first half. As I mentioned, they're 15 and 60 now with four games to go. It'll probably take something like uh, 35, 36 wins to get in that playing situation. Hopefully they can get there, but I don't think that's the, the ultimate determ determination on whether or not this has been a successful season. This has been a development year. This has been an evaluation season for the front office. And I think when we get to the offseason, the Bulls are going to have their picks, their draft picks in place. They're going to have cap space to use. 
And uh, I'm sure that Arturis is going to make some changes. Some will be big. Some will be around the edges to make sure that this team is continues on upward track. All right, a couple things uh, around the rest of the league before we get to our walk down memory, our walk down uh, memory lane uh, segment. Um, you mentioned the All Star game and the the additions, and I think the NBA and the coaches did a pretty good job. Listen, you, you can never satisfy everybody, but you were a hundred percent right, Mark, when you said guys like um, Trey Young, who normally would be an All Star, but you know, listen, Atlanta has not played well at all this year, unlike last year, so that sort of knocked him out of the box. Bam Adebayo, you know, with Miami sort of underachieving, although they're getting better now with Jimmy Butler back in the lineup. He didn't make it. Gordon Hayward with Charlotte, same thing. So I think you're 100. And Fred Van Vliet also, minus his 50-point game. Um, You know, that's just the way it goes. I mean, they talk about expanding the roster, and I'd be okay with that just to get a few more names uh, into the game. Yeah, when you look at guys that were left out in the Eastern Conference, I think Trey Young, just on the merit of his numbers, would deserve consideration. And if you saw last night, he came out with a vengeance. He had a big game. They blew out uh, Boston, I believe it was, last night as the Celtics slide continues. You look in the East, you know, you look at Trey Young, you look at DeMontis Sabonis at uh, Indiana. He's put up some big numbers as a big guy. Bam Adebayo. And normally, Jimmy Butler would have been on that team for sure, but he missed so many games because of an ankle injury and the health and safety protocols that that kind of eliminated him from consideration. I think that, you know, if it were me, I might have taken Bam over Vucevic because the Magic have really floundered this year. But I don't really have any problems with it because the statistics that Vucevic has put up are certainly all-star worthy. Okay. MVP of the league, I said as of right now, it's Joel Embiid. I'm starting to think maybe Anthony Davis should get it because all of us on the Lakers without (laughs) Anthony Davis. And that's what an MVP is, most valuable player to a team's success. I mean, LeBron could be an MVP every year he plays, but – all of a sudden, LeBron is not winning games. I mean, I think they've lost four or five in a row without his buddy uh, alongside of him, and the Utah Jazz just blew him out last night. Yeah, and who would have thought that after the way James Harden started this season in Houston, where he was visibly out of shape, was jaking it, wasn't playing at 100%, and basically forced their hand to, to make the trade to Brooklyn that he wanted. Now his name is being floated around for MVP consideration because he's been the one of that big three with the Nets that raised his hand and say, I'll be the one who sacrifices. I'll be the playmaker. He's averaging double-digit assists, leads the NBA, and really has been the reason why Brooklyn's gone off on this hot streak with Kevin Durant out. But you look at you look at Harden, you look at Kevin Durant, you look at Jokic in Denver who's putting up big numbers. You know, there, it's going to be a very tight race. I saw something today on, on social media that somebody mentioned that I think the writers have gotten together and decided that this is going to be the year that LeBron gets the lifetime achievement MVP. Kind of like when it was Jordan's last year with the last dance that everyone thought, well, this is this could be his last year, so we'll give him the MVP. Granted, he deserved it anyway because he had he led the league in scoring and the Bulls had the second best record in the league, as I recall, back in the 97-98 season. But, you know, it's going to be a wide open race. And if when Anthony Davis comes back, if that's when the Lakers take off, well, then maybe that's going to hurt LeBron's candidacy because, you know, Anthony Davis may be the key to their success. You know, you look at what they've done. They've lost four in a row. They've gotten blown out a couple of times. And they're great when they have Anthony Davis and also Dennis Schroeder, who was a great addition, has been out as well. But LeBron showed two years ago he couldn't carry that team by himself. And we've seen, at least in the short term, that it's it's tough for a guy at 36 to, to be you know be playing major minutes and carrying the load on both offense and defense. 
Yeah, it, it's it's going to be a crazy race there. And as far as the the, I'm looking way 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 down the road. The, the Western Conference Finals. I mean, listen, the Utah Jazz as of right now, they're the best team overall. They've just gone on an incredible streak here the last six weeks. Um, but I think the Lakers will still be there in the long run. And in the East, I'll be really surprised if it's not Brooklyn and Philly. And I'm sorry, Mark, your Milwaukee Bucks team has been a major disappointment. Major. They've looked terrible. Uh, you know, I watch them a lot, and it just seems like they've just fallen flat. You know, the playoff disappointments the last two years, they got Giannis to commit to the Supermax extension, but it almost seems like his game has regressed. I know he's an incredible hard worker. You know, you and I get to the arena early when, when the Bucks play the Bulls, and he's out there three hours before the game working up a big lather, working on his game and, and trying different ways to improve. But – some guys just can't shoot long range jump shots. And I think he's going to be one of those guys, no matter how much work he puts into it, he's never going to be a consistent outside shooter. And I think Mike Budenholzer is trying so hard with the different personnel. You know, they brought in some shooters with DJ Augustine and Bryn Forbes and Bobby Portis has given them a different look as a backup big, but the pieces don't seem to fit. And Drew Holiday has been out for the last half dozen or so games because of health and safety reasons. But you know, I don't, I don't think that's the only reason why Milwaukee has struggled. I, I think they're going to be hard-pressed to get as far as the second round of the Eastern Conference playoffs. And I think if they if that's where it ends, I think Budenholzer will probably be fired at the end of the year. Yeah, I know Giannis got generational money here, but I wonder if in the long run he's going to be sort of regret the fact that he stayed in Milwaukee because I, I just don't see it, Mark. You know, and, and unfortunately, they gave him so much money, they might not have the wealth down the road to add to that roster unless they get lucky in some capacity. So I wonder if he might regret it down the road. Well, as you know, the way the NBA works, if he doesn't like his situation, he and his agent will demand a trade. They'll say, I want to play with Steph Curry in Golden State, or I want to play with uh, Luka down in Dallas, or I want to play in Toronto for Masai Ujiri. I mean, these, these contracts aren't worth the paper they're written on anymore. Yeah, that's true. All right. Our time for uh, going back in time. You and I have covered the Bulls and the NBA for four decades. Uh, I'll let you lead off with one of your stories from the past. Yeah, I almost switched to a Jabari Parker story, but I think we've given him enough time on this podcast. So I'm going to stick with my original plan. Um, do a little cross promotion here. You and I, of course, are, are the kings of multimedia. I also do a podcast with uh, Stacey King. It's called Gimme the Hot Sauce, surprisingly enough, with Stacey's trademark phrase. You can find Gimme the Hot Sauce on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. Anyway, I'm just setting up a Horace Grant story. Horace and Harvey Grant, the twin brothers, were our guests this week on Gimme the Hot Sauce. And they told some great stories along the way. And one of the things that really struck me was how much Horace is still stung by the criticism he received from you know, in the last dance about you know Michael Jordan saying that it was Horace Grant who talked to Sam Smith and told him behind the scenes stories about what was going on with the team. And, and Horace admitted that he and Sam had a good relationship and I'm sure he did give Sam some information that helped him write the award-winning book, The Jordan Rules. But I remember back in the day talking to Horace, you know, Horace is a very sensitive guy. And back then you could, every now and again, they would let us in the weight room to do interviews. They don't do that anymore, but this is at the old Birdo Center. And I remember talking to Horace, and he got—he was really emotional talking about how much it hurt him that players on the team were suggesting that that he was the one who was telling tales out of school, that you know he was uh, divulging secrets within the team. It really hurt him a lot. 
And during the course of the first three, Pete, Horace always felt like he wasn't given enough credit. You know, it was always Jordan and Pippen and the Zen master, Phil Jackson. And oh, yeah, there's this guy who wears goggles named Horace Grant. He plays hard. He's a good defender, one of the Doberman defenders. He always felt like he didn't get the credit he deserved. And even when it came to contract negotiations, of course, he played the following year. And you remember after Michael quit to, to play baseball, um, the Bulls got three guys on the All-Star team that year. It was Scotty, it was Horace, it was B.J. Armstrong. It was like that carryover effect from the dynasty years. And so Horace got a chance to play in, in the All-Star game. And you could tell that whole season, he was kind of flirting with uh, the Orlando Magic and Shaquille O'Neal, saying, come on, Shaq, bring me aboard. And he signed for big money with the Magic. And I'll never forget, you know, Jordan came back from baseball, wasn't 100% effective, and the Magic eliminated the Bulls at the United Center, and the Magic carried Horace Grant off the court. Uh, Bulls fans remember that. That image is, is indelibly etched in the fans of, uh, you know, uh, the fans of our age. But when you look back, the fact that Horace Grant's a four-time NBA champion, he got one with the Lakers at the end of his career, I would say pretty confidently that that series win over Michael and the Bulls in the 95 playoffs is probably the highlight of his career. And who can ever forget Nick Anderson's famous quote during yeah. that series? Well, that 45, he, he's not like 23 was in the past because Jordan switched right. his number to 45 and then quickly switched it back to 23 the following year. So, yeah, that, that one hurt as a Bulls fan, and I am a Bulls fan. That one hurt because Michael, even though he had a couple of games leading up to the postseason, he wasn't ready. He wasn't ready to be Superman again at that juncture, not yet. But he certainly well, when, came back with vengeance the following year, didn't he? Remember when Nick Anderson stole the ball from Michael at the end of that game in Orlando, they almost had that game in the bag. All they had to do was keep possession of the ball, force Orlando to foul. They could have got a victory there. The series might have been completely different. So, yeah, and, and Michael took that to heart. Of course, he uh, uh, filmed Space Jam that summer and had a gym constructed on the studio lot so that he could play pickup basketball games. And we saw in the last dance players telling stories about how competitive, you know, stars from the NBA and the college ranks were coming in. And these games were viciously competitive. All right, my story uh, uh, from years past, it's not a bull story, but it's an NBA one. You know, Mark, that the NBA combine minus this year has always been in Chicago. It's because it's the easiest, you know, for all the teams to meet. And they always had it at, you know, mostly it was at the Moody Bible Institute. And I would go there, you know, the two or three times uh, that they had the sessions there. And I would do, you know, different interviews with the GMs or the, the executive vice presidents, the players, what have you. And one time I was, I approached Rick Barry to do an interview. And, you know, they were coming out, it's a warm afternoon. They come out of the building and uh, Rick Barry was sort of a, I don't know. He was sort of snide more he often. He could than be surly. Yeah. Yeah. He was definitely surly. So I went up to him and I go, you know, and I'll, excuse me, Mr. Barry or Rick, whatever I said, do you have a couple of minutes to do an interview? And he faked like he had laryngitis. He goes, I, I, got, I got laryngitis. I, I can't do it. Blah, 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 blah. And I said, okay, all right, no problem. So I walk away. And then all of a sudden I see him talking to a couple of other, and they're all luminaries. You know, it was a who's who who came out of the building. And he's talking just fine, just fine. <laughs> no laryngitis. I mean, it was complete BS on his part. So I went back up to him. I go, well, I got nothing to lose. I went back up to him. I said, can 
I do an interview with you now? And I walked away. He's <laughs> such a, I'll he was such a prick uh, to do that. Whatever. Anyway, that was just something that stood out in my memory for over all these years. Well, remember Rick Barry was doing analysis on the playoffs when he was an active player. And at that time, he was ahead of the curve in terms of being really outspoken and being very critical of his contemporaries. He was still in the league. And, of course, he went on to do broadcasts for CBS for a number of years after that. But because he was so prickly and didn't get along with people, he eventually talked his way out of a broadcasting job. He was very good at it. But because he couldn't get along with people, I'm sure he was a nightmare to work with for, you know, in terms of stagehands and camera people and everybody else that, you know, they finally decided we're not going to put up with this nonsense and said we can find, you know, a player who's retired more recently that will relate better to our audience. So, you know, what goes around comes around. And, yeah, Rick had that reputation. I mean, obviously, we're old enough that we, we saw him play. He was a hell of a player, but when you when you see people put together their list of the top 20 or 25 greatest players of all time, nobody ever mentions Rick Barry. And you look at his stats, pretty impressive. But I think because of that personal component, he gets downgraded on a lot of people's all-time rankings. Yeah, he was a hell of an NBA player. Yeah. I mean, he was a hell of an ABA player. I mean, uh, you know, he didn't uh, – I can't remember his entire ABA career, but he came over at some juncture, and then I think he played six, seven, eight years in the NBA. And in just in his NBA, he averaged 23, 24 points a game for his NBA career. So, yeah, he was a hell of a player. No ifs, ands, or buts. But he was such a prick that day. I, I just got to say that. <laughs> Yeah, I've had a lot of people come up with different excuses not to do an interview. That that's that's pretty creative. I'm glad you caught him in the act. Oh yeah, absolutely. Anyway, <laughs> I was going to add one more segment, but I think we've run out of time here for right now. We've got a lot packed into this. Again, kudos to Zach Levine for making the All Star game. Um, and the Bulls have a big week upcoming, a lot of games. So we'll do this again next week, Mark. Yeah, I'd just like to add my congratulations to Zach and his family. We've all seen a video of his dad, who was a former professional football player running him through the paces with bands around his waist and the sand and weight resistance and everything else. So Zach didn't take the easy way to become a great basketball player. Well-deserved honor, and it's a great thing for both Zach and the Bulls. Okay, my honor to do this with you on a weekly basis, and we'll do it again next week. Until then, uh, you have yourself a good one. 